today, today, you will meet Felix. Felix is the governor who judges the court case against the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 24. Now, Paul's life is on the line. You're going to hear a little bit more about this in just a minute. You'll eventually hear Paul's story. But today, I want to take a closer look at Felix, at his life, at his background, how he acts in today's passage, and the very important decisions that he has to make. My full name is Antonius Felix. I was born a slave in the Roman Empire. But I was meant for bigger things. I was not meant to be just a slave. And you know who saw that? Antonia, the mother of the Emperor Claudius, and she freed me. So then I was a freedman in the Roman Empire. But that was not enough for me. I was meant for bigger things. I rose to become the governor of Judea. Do you know how unusual that is for a freed slave to become the governor of a Roman province? How did I do it? I did it through every sneaky, underhanded trick in the book. I did it through whatever I had to do because I was meant for big things and I'll do whatever I have to do to get where I want to go. So, as you may have noticed, I don't have a lot of integrity. I don't care. Nobody thinks I have integrity, and nobody thinks I'm a good ruler. What has my reign been like? Well, it's been a pain in the neck. Violence is up, rebellion is up, insurrection is up, and my job is to keep peace. If I want to keep my job, I got to keep Rome happy. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to squelch all these insurrectionists. I'm going to squelch everyone who's making my reign look bad. And how am I going to do that? I'll do whatever I have to do. Have I crucified people? Yeah, I've crucified a lot of people. And I'll crucify as many more people as I have to. Have I assassinated people? You bet. I want to stay governor. I want to get a better assignment after this one. I'll do whatever I have to. So I'm the governor of Judea. Who lives here? The Jews. I'm supposed to be protecting the Jews. Do they like me? No, they're horrified. I don't care. As long as I keep my job, that's all I care about. I do have to be a little bit careful in dealing with Roman citizens. There's limits on what I can do in dealing with a, a troublemaker who's a Roman citizen. Um, you're going to hear a Bible passage about me today, and you're going to hear some people saying, Oh, Governor Felix, you've done such a good job. It's been so peaceful here during your reign. It's all nonsense. It hasn't been peaceful during my reign, but you flatter people who are important to get what you want. And people flatter me, and I like it. You know, I've had an interesting life. I've had uh, three wives. You know who my first wife was? You ever hear of Antony and Cleopatra? 
I, uh, I was married to their granddaughter, which was interesting. But I got tired of her, so then I had my second wife, and I got tired of her. And then I saw Drusilla. She was the most gorgeous woman I have ever seen in my life. And I wanted her, and I did not care that she was married to another man. I had to make her mine. And I did. She is, was and is a Jew. I'm a proud pagan. How do you get a woman to leave her husband for you? You hire the best magician in town. And that's what I did. And you can laugh, but it worked. She's my wife now. You know who her father is? You know who my father-in-law is now? Herod Agrippa. Remember him? He put the Apostle James to death, the brother of the Apostle John. He tried to do the same thing to Peter. He arrested him, put him in prison. And you know about those Christians, you know, those Jews who believe in Jesus? Supposedly they were praying, praying for Peter, praying for a miracle, blah, blah, blah. And Peter somehow got away. Whatever, it doesn't really interest me. Um, I know a lot about these Christians because I'm the governor of Judea. I live here, and there's two groups, and they're always fighting. There's the Jews who don't believe in Jesus, and they're the Jews who do believe in Jesus. So I know about this from living here. I know about it from my wife, who's a practicing Jew. Um, one of these Christians, the, the Jesus-loving Jews, is named Paul. He's pretty famous. He's got a reputation. He, uh, he's got a knack for getting himself in trouble and running up against the, the non-Jesus Jews. And now they've brought him to me, and I'm supposed to conduct his trial, and I'm supposed to judge him. Do you think I have any interest in getting sucked into these controversies between the Jesus Jews and the non-Jesus Jews? I have absolutely no interest in that. Paul is important in his little group. If he's smart, he's going to pay me a bribe to get out of this trial. He's going to try and bribe me and give me some money, so I'll let him go. That's what a smart guy would do. I hope Paul's a smart guy, because if he's not, I don't have a lot of interest in him. So you may remember from the story how the Apostle Paul comes to meet Felix. Now we talked about that last week, which is a holiday weekend, and half of you are gone. So a quick recap of that is Paul was in, in the middle of a mob, and the Roman commander arrests him to keep him safe. And what we, did, what we read about last week was that while Paul was in that prison in Jerusalem, the, a group of Jews that were against Paul, a, a group of Jews led by the leader Ananias, came up with a conspiracy to murder Paul. They were going to ambush him along the way. Forty Jews had sworn off eating or drinking, and they, they said, we will not eat or drink until Paul is dead and until we have murdered him. But Paul's nephew, the teenager, steps up and he saves the day. And Paul, and so he goes and tells the commander. The commander takes Paul at night and he surrounds Paul with 472 armed guards 
and marches Paul 40 miles to Governor Felix and said, this man, his life is in danger. As far as I can tell, he hasn't done anything wrong, but everybody's really upset about him. And so we're bringing him to you, Governor Felix, for you to decide his case. And that's where we pick up the passage today in Acts chapter 24. And it goes like this, Acts 24, verse 1. Five days later, after Paul had arrived before Felix, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer, he lawyers up, and a lawyer named Tertullus, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent, Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect. He even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. By examining him yourself, you'll be able to learn the truth about all these charges we're bringing against him. The Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city, and they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear between, before God and man. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it is this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. You know, I'm not going to decide this today. When Lysias, the commander, comes, then I'll decide your case. Verse 23, he ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewish, a, a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, That's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. 
At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. Notice, Felix says, not now, I will decide later. He says that when Paul first arrives, he says it when Paul stands before him being accused, and he will say it again. Let's take a closer look at verses 24 through 26. In verse 24, it says that he, Felix, sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. So here we have the Apostle Paul in yet another prison. He's been in lots of prisons at this point in his life, and he's in yet another prison. This time it's Felix's prison, and Felix just calls for Paul whenever he wants to have a spiritual conversation. Whenever he's thinking about spiritual things, or whenever he's thinking about the Jews, or whenever he's thinking about this person called Jesus, who people are still talking about even though he died, whenever he wants to know more, he just summons the Apostle Paul to come and talk to him about these things. Felix, despite himself, got curious. Felix, despite himself, got interested. His, his interest is piqued. He's listening. And the scriptures say that Paul, what's Paul talking about? Paul's not saying, these are the reasons why you need to save my life. These are the reasons why you need to let me go. You know, he already did that. Now the purpose is spiritual conversation. And the scriptures say that Paul is talking about faith in Christ Jesus. And so Paul's speaking to Felix and he's saying, this is what it means to have faith in Jesus. It means, if you have faith in Jesus, it means you trust the words that he says. If you have faith in Jesus, it means you trust that he is who he says he is. And if you have faith in Jesus, you don't just believe those and, and live the same way that you're living. If, if you truly believe what Jesus says, then you're going to start changing the way that you act, too. This is what faith in Jesus is. He says faith in Jesus is we trust that Jesus is the answer to everything we've been looking for and that he's the answer to everything we didn't even know we were looking for. He's, he would have probably told Felix that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Because this is what it means to have faith in Jesus, that we realize there's no other way to be made right with God, to have a connection with God, to find the peace that we really want apart from faith in Jesus. And so Paul spoke about his faith in Christ Jesus. And we have to believe that Paul was inviting Felix to also have the same faith, and Drusilla also to have the same faith, that the Messiah that Drusilla and the Jewish people were looking for was fulfilled, the Savior was fulfilled in Jesus. So Paul spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 25 tells us a little more specifically about what Paul would talk to them about. It says that Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Now, how would you like to have the Apostle Paul? I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. He's famous. We know about him 2,000 years later. He was even famous back in his day. Everybody knew about Paul. And here, Felix has got his very own Apostle Paul just sitting in a jail cell that he can call anytime that he wants to have a spiritual conversation about something. Wouldn't you like to have the Apostle Paul just available to come talk to you anytime you want to have a spiritual conversation? But Paul is talking to them about three specific things mentioned here. Now, the scripture says that Paul was repeatedly brought to him, and so they repeatedly have multiple conversations, but it specifically mentions these three topics as things that they were regularly and deeply talking about. Righteousness, self-control, 
and the judgment to come. Now, I haven't had the experience lately of anybody calling me and saying, hey, Pastor Christy, I want to talk about spiritual things. Can you please come talk to me about judgment? No one's been asking for that lately. I mean, we can do that. But this is what's happening here. Paul is talking about these three things. And I think it's very interesting, these three topics, because when it comes to righteousness, what do you know about Felix? Not super righteous, right? (laughs) Not super righteous, not a man of integrity, not even respected, not even a very good man. And Paul's talking to him about righteousness. He's talking about that to a man who's known for cruelty, for a man who's known for being unfair, unjust, unwise. And Paul's also talking to him about the good news of you can be made righteous in God's eyes, Felix. And maybe Drusilla was a little better than Felix. We don't know about her making these sorts of being a bad leader like Felix was, but, but Paul could have said to her too, and, and Drusilla, you're not as bad. You're not as bad as Felix, but God can make you righteous too in the ways that you need to be made right. Because you know deep down that you're not. Paul also talks to them about self-control. Now just remember how Felix and Drusilla came together. It was a complete lack of self-control. It was just operating completely out of lust, this unbridled lust that brought him to get with her. And so here's Paul talking to Felix about self-control. Here's Paul talking to the man who just randomly crucifies people whenever he wants to, who has people assassinated whenever he wants to, about self-control. I mean, Paul's got some gumption here, right? Paul is not at all worried that he's in chains. He's not at all worried that his life is in his hands. He's like, I have to talk about what God's telling me to talk about. And so he talks to Felix about self-control. And he says, Felix, having trust in Jesus changes who you are. Felix, Making a decision for Christ makes you into a new person. It's not just a set of beliefs that you adhere to. It changes your very being, and it changes your ability to have Holy Spirit-given self-control. You can't understand this because you haven't experienced it yet, and you haven't experienced what it means to actually be filled with the Spirit. But God can do this in you and can change you. He also talked about this third topic of Judgment. Judgment to come. And I, I, I wish I could hear how Paul talked about it. Because nobody's really wanting to hear about this sort of t- conversation. Nobody really wants to hear that someday there's this inevitable day that's coming. This inevitable day that we have to face in which there will be penalty for injustice and immorality and wrongness and brokenness. There's judgment coming. And Paul, in his sense of urgency, says, Felix, Drusilla, you've got to understand. You've got to understand. Make a decision for Christ because you want to escape this kind of judgment of God. And Felix has a decision to make. In fact, he's given lots of opportunities to make a decision. He's given lots of opportunities to make a decision of what he's going to do with what Paul is telling him. And this is what he does. Felix was afraid. Felix was afraid. And he said, that's enough. That's enough for now, Paul. You may leave. 
when I find it convenient, I'll send for you. We do this all the time with God. We do it with God's people. We do it with the Holy Spirit moving in our lives. And all the time we say, that's enough for now. Go away. When it's convenient and I want to do this church thing, then we'll talk. Felix is uncomfortable. Felix is feeling it. He is bothered by these things. He doesn't want to think about these things anymore. He said, I was kind of interested in the spiritual stuff, but I don't like the direction this is going. And he's feeling uncomfortable because he's starting to wonder if maybe some of this is true. If, if Felix didn't think any of this had the possibility of truth, if he thought it was all just hogwash, he wouldn't care about seeing Paul. He wouldn't care about what Paul had to say, and he wouldn't want to leave. He wouldn't even call for Paul to talk about these things. But Felix is starting to wonder if maybe this could be true. There's something here that he's drawn to. There's something here that makes him curious. And yet there's also something that still holds him back. Felix has to make a decision. And like all of us, we have to make a decision. We have a decision to make about Jesus and what we're going to do with him. We have a decision to make on if we're going to say, not now. Or if we're going to say, tell me more. God is working to help you decide for him. God is working in your life to help you pay attention to him, to help you know him, to help you realize that he's working. God is actively doing things in your life to help you see him and know him and understand the new life that he has to make possible for you. God is stirring you up. God is stirring things up in your life, and you think, oh, there's this little, like, blip over here. You don't even know. That's the Holy Spirit. There's little disturbance over here. And you're like, oh, there's a disturbance over there. That's so annoying. It's the Holy Spirit. There's another little glimmer of hope over there. And, and you just think, oh, yeah, that's, I'm kind of glad about that. That's the Holy Spirit. God is stirring things up in you, chasing after you, pursuing you, coming after you. He is initiating with you the life that he wants to have. Let's break this down. Number one, God initiates relationship with you. God initiates relationship with you so that you are able to decide for Christ. So often we think, well, I'm going to decide if I want Jesus in my life or not. But the reality is that you can't even decide it without God helping you. God helps you to want that. That desire that you have for him comes from him. God is seeking a relationship with you. He's reaching out to you. This is not just about you going on a spiritual journey. So often we talk about our spiritual lives as like, oh, I'm on this journey, and I'm on this road of, I'm going to read these books, and I'm going to watch these PBS specials on TV, and I'm going to, you know, all about the world religions, and I'm, gonna, I'm going on this quest, I'm going on this spiritual journey, and we think that the spiritual journey is about us finding God. But the Bible gives us a picture much more often about God's journey of going after you. He has been pursuing you from before the beginning of time. When God created humanity, 
It was to be in fellowship with them. When Adam and Eve sinned, when Adam and Eve broke that fellowship with God, God instituted this great rescue plan to bring people back to him. The whole story of the Bible, the entire Bible, the whole uh, covenant with Abraham, the whole rescuing people on the ark, the whole uh, Moses and the people of Israel and establishing them as God's covenant people, and then the whole sending Jesus from heaven to earth is all about God chasing down his people and coming after us. And here we are in 2023, and God is still chasing you. God initiates this relationship with you. If you have a desire for God, if there's something in you that's wanting more, if you're a seasoned Christian and you want more, that comes from God. If you haven't made a decision for Christ yet, but there's something stirring up in you where you just, you wish you could have some of that, that is God at work in you. You might not recognize it, but that is God at work in you. God also helps you to decide for Christ. Number two, God's grace works to loosen sin's grip on you. God's grace works to loosen sin's grip on you so that you can decide for Christ. It kind of helps, he, he helps shake up the, the, the hold that sin has on you. He starts to give you a desire of you know, this sin, this sin thing started off being fun. The bondage thing started off being enjoyable. Sin always starts off enjoyable. I mean, if it doesn't start off enjoyable, you're doing something, you're not sinning right. Because <laughs> sin feels fun when you're doing it. But God's grace starts to work in your life and starts to create a little bit of discontentment. Like, oh, this is kind of shallow. Or, yeah, I've enjoyed the last few years of my life, but I'm not sure that's the future that I want. Or, it was really fun, and I, there's the thrill of the chase, but now I see the path of destruction. God's, God's grace is working in you to start to create a little bit of a disturbance. Let's talk about laundry for a minute. Now, uh, I realize in the first service that not everybody knows how to do laundry. Um, so, if you've got a stain on your clothes, those of you who don't know how to do laundry, the answer is not just throw it away, okay? Okay, now we're past that. Moving on. That was remedial. Let's get to level one now. If you have a stain on your clothes, if you don't treat the stain and you just throw it into the laundry, it's going to still be there because you're going to wash. It might fade a little bit, but when you put it in the dryer, the heat will set the stain, and then you really don't have a good chance of getting the stain out. Okay, how many of you are learning something right now? <laughs> okay, just, just checking. But, but when you treat a stain properly, you're going you're to take, take that soiled piece of laundry, you're going to look at that stain, and you're going to get your spray or you're going to get your concentrated detergent and you're going you're gonna to treat it with that stain treater and you're going to rub that in and then you're going to let it sit for a minute. You're going to let it sit. And while you let it sit, those enzymes are all going to work and they're going to start to loosen that stain. 
So when it comes time for the washing, it will wash out. And the grace of God in your, in your life is like this. The grace before you become a believer, he, he's doing that spot treatment. He's loosening up that stain. So when that moment of repentance comes, when you say, Jesus, Lord, I believe in you, cleanse me of my sin, you are ready to release that stain. That is the grace of God working in your life. However, that does not always feel good. Which takes me to point three. God gives you the gift of uncomfortableness. When that stain is being, that, when that stain remover is, is being put on that stain and, and you're scrubbing that and you're, you're letting it work its thing and do its enzymes thing and you're letting, it, you're letting it just be for a minute, you do not have the satisfaction of having the stain removed. You just feel uncomfortable. You feel full of suds. You feel uncomfortable. You feel sticky. And, and you're uncomfortable. But you're, you're kind of hoping something's going to be different, but you don't really know. And God gives us the gift of being uncomfortable to mess us up and to get us ready for something different. Felix, Felix is uncomfortable. Felix is not at all comfortable with what Paul is saying. He does not, he's not comfortable with what Paul wants him to hear. And, but this uncomfortableness is a gift, Right? It's a gift because it's the only hope that Felix has to be able to see what's going on and then to be able to turn away from it. Now the problem here is that for the person who has not decided for Jesus, this kind of uncomfortableness does not feel like a gift. It feels like, it feels like misery. It feels like messy. It feels unknown and uncomfortable and it feels like wrestling. It feels like confusion. It feels like struggle. It feels, for Felix, it felt like fear. And, and so these things happen to us, and, and if we don't have, and sometimes we, we don't realize that it's God at work, and I'm like, oh, I just feel so bad, so I'm going to avoid feeling bad, and I'm going to go do whatever I need to do in order to feel good. Let's just stop being so afraid. Let's stop being so afraid of pain because sometimes pain is the indicator of disease in our lives that needs to be treated by the healer. And so when God stirs up in us a holy uncomfortableness, it might not feel like a gift, but it is. And some of you might be here right now in your relationship with God. Like Felix, you know a lot but you have not decided for Christ. Maybe you decided for Christ a long time ago, but you walked away. And now you're thinking, what might it look like to come back? And if this is you, I want you to notice any uncomfortableness that God might be stirring up. I want you to know that God is chasing you. I want you to know that God is working to loosen sin's grip on you to loosen up that hold and it might not feel very comfortable right now but God is preparing you to to face a decision. He's preparing you to face a decision. The passage concludes today with this one verse in verse 27. 
When two years had passed, how long? Where's Paul? When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Paul is in prison. Do you remember why he's in prison? Because of accusations that haven't been proven. And because they put him, originally they put him in prison to keep him safe so he wouldn't get killed. So he's in what they call preventive custody, to prevent anything from happening. And they had a law back then that you could only be in preventive custody for two years maximum. Here's Paul, passing the two-year mark. Look at all of the decisions that Felix doesn't make. When Paul and the 472 armed soldiers first arrive at, late at night, and they, they first arrive to Felix, and uh, Paul comes before Felix, and Felix says, why are you here? Where are you from? And Paul tells him, Felix says, huh, okay, well, I'll decide later. I will not decide now. I'll decide when your opponent gets here. Five days later, the opposition arrives. After Tertullus, the lawyer, does his whole spiel saying, these are all the charges against Paul. What does Felix say? I'll decide later. I'll decide when Lysias, the commander, comes. Later. I will not decide now. Well, several, several days pass, the scripture says, and then Felix says, Paul, come talk to me about spiritual things. And uh, then he gets convicted, and then he sends Paul away. And once again, Felix has an opportunity to make a decision, and he doesn't make a decision. Felix keeps on sending for Paul. The scripture says frequently he sends for Paul, and yet still he won't decide. Two years pass, and when it comes to what Paul's destiny will be, Felix does not decide. This man has multiple opportunities to make decisions. He can't decide Paul's case despite lawyers, despite the fact that the Lysias, the commander, had a letter in favor of Paul saying we can't find anything wrong with him, uh, despite the fact that he even kind of likes Paul at this point. He, he doesn't make a decision for Paul's case. But more importantly, Felix has multiple opportunities to decide for Christ, and he just can't decide for Christ. He's learning. He's learning from the best teacher there is right now. He's learning from the most learned, educated Christian speaker that there is right now. He's learning about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, and something is stirring in his heart. Something's bubbling up. Something's just making him dissatisfied with where things are. He has conviction but he makes a decision to not decide. He stifles this, he resists it, and he tries to put it out of his head. And, and that's the thing. We all are faced with an opportunity to decide for Christ or not. And God won't make you. He won't make you decide for him. God, will, God won't force you to choose him. 
God comes after you, he chases you, he's stirring things up in you, he's pursuing you. But then it's your turn. What decision will you make? Felix doesn't make a decision to trust Jesus. He doesn't really make a decision to trust himself. He makes neither decision. And here's what it comes down to. Not deciding is deciding. He says, I don't want to make a decision right now. Talk to me later. I'll summon you for a spiritual conversation when I'm ready. And so he thinks, I'm not going to decide now. But here's the thing, not deciding is deciding. And his unwillingness to make a decision is a decision to say no. Jesus tells us in Matthew 12, he who is not with me is against me. Jesus said, if you're not with me, if you haven't decided for me, if you're not fully on my side, there's no such thing as being halfway on my side. There's no such thing as just liking me and saying you're on my side. You're either on my side or you're not on my side. And Jesus said, if you're not on my side, then you're, you're against me. Jesus drew a clear line. And all through the Bible, as people encounter God, God's constantly giving people the opportunity to make a decision. Adam and Eve had a decision to make. They chose poorly. Sin, the disease of sin entered the world with their decision and we will continue uncured of sin unless we decide for Christ. In the book of Joshua, it says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves who you're going to serve, God or not God. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses comes speaking the words of God to the people. And it says, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Here's life, here's death, here's blessings, here's curses. Now choose life, choose it, so that you and your children can live. The Bible's also clear, church, that we have a limited time to make a decision for Christ. Felix ran out of time. Felix didn't make a decision, and that was a decision. And he ran out of time. The book of Hebrews tells us that humans are destined to die once and then after that to face judgment. This, this judgment thing is a real thing that's actually in the Bible that Jesus actually talks about. It's a reality that we have to look at. Time will eventually run out. See, trusting Jesus is really what the decision is all about. Will you decide for Christ? Will you decide that you will put your trust in him? Will you stop trying to live a Christian-ish life and add some Bible to the life that you want to live and instead live the life that Jesus has for you and fully live in his word and fully give yourself to him? 
Trusting Jesus is what it's all about. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Do you see the initiative of God? Do you see that God loved the world, that he gave his Son? And it says that he, he did not send his Son to condemn the world, but to save the world, God is chasing, God is initiating, God is pursuing you. And God has been doing this for all of us through the generations. And some people have chosen him and some people have not. But you have an opportunity to decide for Christ today. John, 13, John 3, 18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. If you've not made a decision for Christ, you're already in a position of, of condemnation with God. But that's re resolved by choosing faith, by choosing Jesus, by making a decision for Christ because whoever believes in him is not condemned. God doesn't let us be bystanders forever. He won't let us sit on the fence forever. Felix and Drusilla had, an, had the time come where they had to make a decision. And I wonder about some of you and the journey that you're on. Some of you, like Felix and Drusilla, have had lots of spiritual conversations. Perhaps you've even been in spiritual communities very much like what, what they would have been part of. Felix and Drusilla, they lived in Judea, which is full, full of Jews. Lots of Jews. Jewish Christians and Jewish non-Christians, but full of Jews. They, they had all the famous people lived in their area. They had all the big names. They heard all the, all the spiritual stuff. They, they had heard scriptures lots and lots and lots. But hearing that kind of stuff, even being in the communities of other people who believe those kinds of things, does not make you a believer. Something was holding Felix back. And when it came time to make a decision for Christ, he couldn't do it. And I think there are probably some of us here today who are in a similar kind of situation people who've been around the scene, people who've even heard some things. I mean, you're here because God's drawn you. You're here because there's something in you that wants more. The fact that you're here shows that God is in your life, that he's calling you, that he's leading you. But maybe you haven't put your faith in Jesus. And I want to invite you today to decide for Christ. To stop waffling, to stop trying to hold on to both sides, to stop trying to make your, your old life fit into the new life, to stop trying to pull your new life back into your old life. Stop, pick a side and pick the side of Jesus. Make a decision for Christ. Some of you did that before. You've made a decision for Christ before, but you've gotten away, you've been doing other things, and you're coming back now. And I want to encourage you today, make a decision for Christ and start again. Not deciding was Felix's decision, but I hope that you'll make a different one.
Would you bow your heads with me? If you would say today, I want to decide for Christ. I might not have it all figured out, but I know God is, I, I really think God is chasing me. And I'm feeling uncomfortable and he's stirring some things up in me and I think, I think he's calling me back. And I want to just say, I will decide for Christ today. If that's you, would you, everyone else keep your eyes closed and your heads down, but would you, if, if that's you, would you lift up your eyes, make eye contact with either me or Pastor Phil, and, and just maybe lift a hand and let me see. Yep, 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 yep. I'm also going to ask you that if you, if you did that, if um, you could take a communication card sometime in the next little bit here, write your name and your phone number. I'll, I'll call you later today and follow up with you and just talk through what's God doing in your life. Let, let's talk for a minute. And then when we receive communion in just a moment, if, if you want to bring that forward and give it to whoever is serving you communion, and they'll just take that and put it down on the table and we'll collect those afterward. But I'd, I'd love to talk with you more. And Lord God, you want us. Thank you for being a God who doesn't give up on us. Thank you for being a God who chases us. Thank you for being the kind of God who makes us uncomfortable enough that it spurs us into action so that we have to do something. And Lord, please keep giving us the gift of uncomfortableness until we stand up out of our seats and get going in the direction that you want us to. And for those who lifted their hands this morning, Lord, we confess our sin to you. We confess our stuckness. We confess our bondage. We confess that we have said no. We confess our stubbornness and our resistance and our putting our hands in your faces and saying no. Today that changes. And we take down our hands and we take down our defenses and we say yes. Yes, Lord whatever it takes, whatever you're calling me to, whatever I have to run from, I run from it, God, and I'm running to you. Satan will not get me today. The devil will not drag me down. I've turned my life over to you. I do not belong to him. I belong to you. And you, Jesus, are my God. And I confess you as my Savior and as the Lord and as the ruler of all rulers on this earth. You, Jesus, are in charge, and I pledge my life to you. Jesus, make us yours. We love you. Thank you so much for loving us first and sending your son. Amen.